0: Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, this uh, week is coming up, uh, we we commemorate as Reformation Day. We think about the work of the Reformers, we think about how they gave their lives to understand the Word of God, to translate God's Word, to get it out to uh, the people in their own language so that they would have uh, the Word of God and be changed by the Word of God. Uh, these men gave their lives for reform to go on in the church now the reformation period is a is a point where the church was so deformed by all the traditions and superstitions of men that when the Holy Spirit worked in these particular men, and there were numerous men, uh, we think only of Martin Luther and John Calvin and maybe uh, Bullinger and Zwingli and uh, Melanchthon, and, and there, were, there were many others. There were pre-reformers as well, John Wycliffe and Tyndale. Uh, there were those that were translating the Word of God, getting the Word out, and uh, as as I said, the pre-reformers, Latimer and Ridley, uh, Echol and Pattius. there were uh, many of such men and, and, and then the Reformation at one point became this catalyst and the Lord using Martin Luther. Now Martin Luther was a Roman Catholic monk and it wasn't his desire to leave the Roman Catholic Church it was his desire to reform the Roman Catholic Church. Well the Roman Catholic Church wouldn't have anything of that. They did not want the reform of the church And how Luther proposed to do that was going back to the teaching of God's Word. The church being deformed at that time, he was desiring the reformation of the church. And that would only come by the ministry of the Word. So get rid of all the superstition, get rid of all the priestcraft, get rid of all the idols and images, and it's returned back to the teaching of God's Word. And replacing all those things... With Christ, as he has said, a man only needs Jesus Christ. When you have Christ, as the Catechism says, you have all that is necessary unto your salvation. And so the Reformers came up with uh, there was five Latin solas, the solas of the Reformation, as as we understand them: uh, the Sola Scriptura, uh, Sola Fide, Sola Gratia, Sola Christus, Sola Dea Gloria. So, uh, by Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. This is what the church, the the marching orders is that were to the church of Jesus Christ. So thinking about then this evening the sola scriptura uh, that aspect of scripture alone. How important is the word of God in the life of the church? Well, listen to these scripture references. Uh, Proverbs chapter six, verse 20. My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart, tie them around your neck. And when you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. And when you wake, they will speak with you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law a light. Reproofs are the instruction and the way of one's life. Uh, Psalm chapter 12, verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, uh, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times, and you shall keep them, O Lord, and preserve them. Uh, from this generation. And so that's what the Word of God. It's a purified Word. It's an inspired Word, inspired, breathed out by the Holy Spirit. Uh, thinking again of what the New Testament teaches, uh, we find uh, beginning in to say Hebrews chapter 4, that the Word of God is, is that which is sharp and active and powerful, that's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's that which is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the thoughts of a man's heart. 2 uh, Timothy 3, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. and is profitable for rebuke, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped unto every good work. 1 Thessalonians 2, the Apostle Paul wrote, when you receive the Word of God, you received it just as it is, as the Word of God, not as the Word of men, which is able to build you up and establish you in the faith. Uh, the Scripture speaks that way, it goes on and on with regards to the Word and the quality of the Word and the work of the Word in the life of the believer. And that's what you see this evening. Uh, the Apostle Paul is dealing with the Ephesian elders and the ministry of God's Word in the life of the elders and also the congregation. And what he is admonishing them, what he commending To them with regards to the word of God. The last thing he says to them is that he commends them to God and the word of his grace. And it's that word that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Uh, The importance, the wonder of the importance of God's word in the life of the believer. And beloved, how you respond to God's word reveals the condition of your heart. Did you ever think about that? John said in 1 John 4 uh, that those who are of God hear God's word. The world doesn't hear because they are of the world. Therefore, they speak of as the world and the world hears them. But you are of God, little children, and all those who are of God hear us. They hear the word of God. Uh, Jesus said the same thing in John chapter 8. Uh, All those who are of God hear the word of God. He told the Pharisees, you don't hear the word of God because you are not of God. So how we respond to God's word, there is no neutrality with regard to that. You are either saying yea and amen to the word of God, or you're despising it. You're marginalizing it. Uh, You are ignoring it. You are fighting against it. So how we respond to the ministry of God's Word reveals the condition of our heart, spiritual condition. Uh, Even as believers, we know we need to continue to grow in understanding of God's Word. And so being in the Word of God, this is where the Holy Spirit works, how He teaches. Uh, The Apostle Peter said we have the more sure word. More sure is having the word of God than what he saw on the Mount of Transfiguration. Having the established word as the foundation and the confirmation and the regulation of our faith is more sure than anything that you can see with your eyes. Because we live by faith, we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The word of God is that which tests everything else. The apostle says in 1 Thessalonians 5 that we are to test all things and we are to hold fast to that which is true. Well, how do you know what is true? By laying it next to the plumb line, the canonical scriptures, the measuring stick. Laying it next to that. And if they speak not according to the law of God, it's because there is no truth in them, Isaiah said. So, the Word of God must be that which is a mainstay in the life of the believer. It is our bread and butter. It is, we think about the meat and the potatoes, right? And and, uh, uh, many staple diets. This is what they have. This, This is for the Christian. It's the Word and the sacraments. This is what God has given to us. So, the Apostle Paul then Um, And as we read here, he's getting to go on these uh, certain voyages and to meet with uh, certain people in differing towns, and he's wanting to get in certain places, and he was a man on a mission. Uh, He was a man who was desiring to serve the Lord, to honor the Lord, to praise him and all that he did, all that he taught, all that he said. He was a godly man. Uh, We find that in the life of the Apostle Paul. Uh, interesting when he speaks about uh, Eutychus being up in the the uh, the third story in the upper room sitting in a window and he falls out while sleeping he's going into a deep sleep that's not because the apostle Paul is was a boring preacher you realize that in those days what would be lighting for the early church it would be candles or torches and so you would have torches and candles, you would have things burning on the inside of the structure that they were in. You don't know, have windows as we have the glass windows today. And the fumes would be going out the window and there's Eutychus sitting there in the window breathing in these fumes and down he goes. Well, I was joking uh, uh, this morning with the elders about the, the, the length of the Apostle Paul's sermon. And as, uh, as we read, he preached till midnight. I had one of my professors in seminary, I uh, used to argue about that because he liked short sermons, you know, 15, 20 minutes. And I, I wasn't of that cloth, so we didn't, uh, we had some, some head butting on that. And I said, well, you know, the Apostle Paul speaks about uh, preaching, you know, past midnight. And he said, yeah, but it doesn't say what time he started. And I said, okay, well, I'll give you that one. I'll even give you that he started at 11.59 in the evening. I said, but let's continue reading. And Paul continued his message until daybreak. How many do you think would stay and listen to a message until daybreak? How many in the church today do you think would desire to be under the Word of God for that long? I mean, we are lightweights and we complain if the sermon goes too long. And I hear it, people will come out and turn around, look at the clock, and say, Hey, good afternoon. And my response is always the same. You got your money's worth today. So the apostle then, as he is dealing with the elders at Ephesus, uh, we find the importance that he places upon the teaching of God's word. Uh, If you look at verse 28... He begins by telling them to take heed to yourselves and to all the flocks. So it's an important work of the eldership to take heed to themselves, to pay attention is what he is saying to themselves, to their spiritual life, their manner of living, how they are living before the congregation of Jesus Christ. Are they an example to the flock? Because that is the responsibility of the elders, is to be an example to the church of Jesus Christ. So take heed to yourselves, but the ministry that they have is also to the flock of God. So there is no such thing as elders who are not to be involved in the life of the church. And how are they to be involved in the life of the church? With the ministry of the word. Uh, They are to be those that counsel, that teach, that instruct, that lead by the ministry of God's word and none other. Um, So Paul is telling these men, uh, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Um, Episcopus is the, the Greek term there, and uh, what it means is that, uh, with regards to epi, is upon, and scopus is to to look or to view, and it means to keep your eyes set upon them, to be watching upon the flock of God. Why? Because there's always people who are trying to stir up schism and problems in the life of the church, and elders have got to be diligent. They have got to be discerning of what comes in to the church. Who comes in and what they're teaching, what they're saying, how they're interacting with the people of God. Uh, I've seen it a, a couple of times in this congregation and one time in particular, maybe about four or five years ago, a man came in and he was, I think he was here twice and um struck me strange some of the things that he said and how he handled himself and, and I got myself in earshot of the things that he was saying and talking to the people and um, it, it came I think the second time that he came here I, I, I asked him some some pretty uh, searching questions and it was almost as if he recognized that I knew what was going on he never returned I never said anything you know uh, to offend him in that way, I just asked him questions. I was probing. It, it, and he was gone. And he had talked to some of you. Some of you talked to him as well. But I, I smelled bad news all over that. and And they come. And they come trying to lead people astray from the truth of God's Word. So there is a responsibility for the eldership to know the Word of God, to be able to protect and defend the people of God with the Word of God. And this is what Paul is telling the elders at Ephesus. God the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, and notice, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. There is a shepherding aspect that goes on. Uh, Leading, you know, you drive cattle, uh, you lead the sheep, you shepherd. So there's the example that is given. You know, cattle, men with with cattle, uh, they are driving those cattle along. Uh, With the sheep, you lead them. You lead them in certain paths of God's word. But he tells them to shepherd the church of God. And how do we shepherd them? Well, when Jesus restored Peter after he had denied the Lord three times, he told him that, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, feed my sheep. And he said it three times. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Well, feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Well, feed my sheep. Just play on words. Peter uses the word uh, phileo and Jesus uses the word agapao. Do you love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Well, Peter can't say that because he had just denied the Lord. I like you a lot, is what he was saying. I have a brotherly affection for you, but do I love you with all of my being? He doesn't say that. Jesus is saying that if you even have that love for me, Feed my sheep. And how is he going to feed? What's the food that are given to the sheep of Christ's pasture? It's the Word of God. So any feeding that goes on that is not the teaching of God's Word, there's no feeding at all. Uh, There is no nourishment that's given to the congregation. The congregation won't grow up to be strong, won't be vibrant. It won't be ministerial, as it were, ministering in different areas and aspects, not only in the congregation, but reaching out also into the community, ministering to others with God's Word, teaching and instructing, remembering, as Paul said, the poor is better to give than to receive. And so we are to be those people that care. And that's what the Word of God does in the life of the church, which he purchased with his own blood. What, what a phrase that is, isn't it? God doesn't have blood. But you realize the unity that Christ has with the Father and the Holy Spirit because He is truly God and yet truly man. And Christ, according to His divine personhood, He is the Son of God who then lays down His life for His people. He shed His life. He spilled His blood uh, to redeem His people, purchasing them uh, with, his, with His own blood. Paul says in verse 29, I know this, that when he departs, when he leaves the elders at Ephesus, I know it's going to happen. Savage wolves are going to come in. Vicious wolves. That's what he means by savage. They're not going to spare the flock. They are going to be those that shred the people of God. Just using an analogy, think about literal sheep out in a field that have no shepherd. And wolves descend upon them. They will rip those sheep to shreds. And Paul says, I know this is what's going to happen. He says there are going to be false teachers that are going to come in. And they're going to distort and they're going to pervert. Savage wolves will come in not sparing the flock. Ravaging the flock. Using the people for dishonest gain. And so he says also from among yourselves men will rise up. Even from those within the midst of the congregation will rise up, he said, and they will speak perverse things, and their desire is to draw a man away to themselves, to their ministry, to their church. I've seen it. Church splits are like that. Uh, Men will rise up and want to lead other people away from the church of Jesus Christ. The established church. And so, drawing disciples after themselves... Now, look at these last two verses. Therefore, he says to watch. Watch. This is a military term. It's to be on guard. It's to set your focus upon the the flock of God, the heritage of God, the people of God, the jewel of God, the crown of God. Uh, We are those that have been given to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the uh, elders, the pastor, as under shepherds, are to guard that heritage of the Lord, the Lord's people. They are to be guarded from the false teaching. And it's a full-time task. It's a difficult task. You have those that want to go astray. You have those that don't want to stay among the flock. And you're chasing after them while they're running from you. That is exhausting. To constantly going after people who don't want to return to the fold, and yet you're calling them back as members of the congregation. And yet they have running as fast as they can with their fingers in their ears, ignoring all the calls to come back. And they've always got a thousand excuses. And that's part of the work of ministry. It's tiring. It's difficult to do that. And many times that won't go on in the life of the church because it takes so much energy to chase after these people who don't want to be here. They don't want to be among us any longer for one reason or another. They oftentimes never give you a reason. They just have some other thing that they want in their life and we're a hindrance to that as the church of Jesus Christ. And so watching and trying to care for that that goes on. Then you have the the difficult task of so many voices today. You know, during this time, no internet, no radio, no TV, no electronic gadgets. The Apostle Paul didn't have to deal with any of that. So the ability for people to hear all kinds of voices was not there. And so you had people that were mostly living in a, in, a, in a society where, you know, agricultural, so they're not traveling long distances. They are around. They are gathering together, Lord's Day after Lord's Day, desiring but worshiping as a community, as a family. Don't have the ability to travel thousands of miles, get on a plane, or, you know, two or three hours in a car. And so there you are with the people of God, knowing one another, caring for one another, ministering to one another. But in our day, there's thousands of voices and you're hearing all kinds of voices. And for the undiscerning people of the congregation, the sheep that are not grown up. They're growing, but they're not grown up. They're hearing all these different voices, and it doesn't bring unity. It doesn't solidify. It doesn't strengthen their faith. It brings confusion. This man's teaching this one. This one's teaching this, And they're listening to all these things, and their head is all over the place. They don't know what to believe anymore. And you know what it does? It works in them this lack of faith. It works in them the desire to walk away from things being confused. Well, I'm not going to read the Bible then, if that's going to bring confusion. Well, you have to realize that because of sin, uh, this is what's going to happen. We're not all going to believe exactly the same thing. Uh, We have some distinguishing things as Reformed people in regards to uh, the, the modern evangelical world. You know, we're not Baptists. We baptize our infants because we believe the covenant and what God says from Old Covenant to New Covenant and there is continuity between the covenants. And so baptism is a fulfillment of the circumcision of the Old Covenant. And that's why we include our children into the covenant community. And through baptism, they have entrance into the covenant community, the church of Jesus Christ. Didn't say that they're saved, but they have entrance into a church membership. They're baptized members of the church. And they're to be raised up in the fear and instruction of the Lord upon the promises that God has given. And we are to speak those promises to the children. Well, the Baptists say, well, that's wrong. Uh, they believe that that's sinful to do that. Uh, you should only baptize those that are truly believers. Well, how do you know that they're even truly believers? Well, we're not opposed to baptizing adults. If someone would come in here off the street had never been churched in their life, we'd baptize them. So there are some doctrinal distinctions that go on. Uh, we are Reformed. We're Calvinistic in, in our understanding of the doctrine of salvation. We believe that God is the one who is sovereign in salvation. We believe that apart from the Holy Spirit regenerating the soul, no man comes to Jesus Christ. No man can believe. No man desires to believe apart from the regeneration of the Spirit of God. And so, you know, we're, we're such a, a minority regard to that understanding. Most don't believe that. Most believe that man has the free will to be able to choose Christ on his own apart from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. And then anything that the Holy Spirit would do would violate that man's free will and God would never do that. So it's up to the man to do that. that, that the scripture doesn't teach that. All that the Father gives to me, come to me. All that the Father gives to me. Jesus said in John 6 that no man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. He says it twice in John 6. Man doesn't have the ability. The natural man doesn't understand the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him, neither can he know them. Because the things of God are discerned spiritually. The natural man doesn't have the spiritual apparatus. He's dead spiritually. He doesn't have the ability to understand the truth of God's word. Jesus said that the flesh profits nothing. It is the spirit who gives life. And the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. It's a spiritual message that Christ gives. And the unbelieving world cannot believe it. Has no desire for it. You've got to have spiritual ears and spiritual eyes. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. That is opposed to 90% of the evangelical world. They don't believe that teaching. And that's what we hold to. And so the difficulty then of shepherding the church of God. You know, the confessions of the church keep us fenced in from going astray, going into false doctrine, false teaching. The confessions are useful for that. They are built upon the teaching of God's Word. They are not infallible. It is the Word of God that is infallible. But the teaching of the confessions resting upon the infallible Word of God is truth, and we are to submit to the truth wherever it is taught. God's Word is that which is the standard. So he says to watch. Remember, for three years he did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. But this is going to happen. And it continues in our day. Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders. And he's telling them to t- pay attention. Because you're going to have problems with men. They're going to desire to ravage the church. To lead people astray. Uh, the undiscerning. The unweary. Those that can't discern their right hand from their left. Not saying that they're not believers. They're just infantile. Easily led astray. See them on TV all the time. Why would you ever send money to a lady who is saying, you know, there's a prayer cloth? If you send your best gift, then I'll send this prayer cloth to you. And if you pray over it, then your wallet will be full. I mean, they make millions. You know, it's staggering to me, it's disappointing. It's discouraging to see people at the Joel Osteen's event center. I mean, it used to be a basketball stadium. It is chock full of people. And the gospel is never preached. And they're believing that self-help guru, because that's all he is. He's not preaching the gospel. And it's staggering to find out how much money that man makes. Sometime Google Joel Osteen in his house, and you'll see that he lives in a house that has tennis court, basketball court, Olympic style, Olympic sized pool. He's got a jet airplane, all the material things that you can you could want on this earth. He has it. He made you know I don't I don't remember maybe ten fifteen years ago I looked. To what he makes is something in the, in the area of 45 million dollars a year. And then with his book sales and then the things that come from the church. I mean the guy is a multi-millionaire. Right? And how is he helping anybody? And yet people buy into that constantly because they don't know the word of God. You can ferret these people out as false teachers Immediately. There's a guy on TV, uh, T.D. Jakes. There's a black guy with a goatee. And, and He's a modalist. He doesn't even believe in the Trinity. And people are following him and buying his books and his tapes. And he's just selling you know, hand over fist, making all kinds of money. And people can't discern whether or not that's true or false. And nobody calls him out on that. He's just constantly rolling in the dough, fleecing the flock. So the elders have a responsibility to warn. I don't have any problem calling people up. I don't have any problem saying, this man teaches this and this man teaches that. And it's public knowledge. It's documented. It's on the internet. It's in his books. This is what he has said. Don't be led astray by them. You know, I people used to, I'd hear people say about Charles Stanley, how they loved him. You know, the man died this past year, but they, they loved him, loved the way he taught his voice and all this stuff. He would lead people astray by the stories that he would tell. said one time he sold a building and he did so because he saw the analogy and the principle of the walls of Jericho. And so as the Lord told them to march around you know, each day and then for seven days and then seven times on that seventh day and the walls of Jericho will fall down. He taught the people that he went out and he marched around that church building every day, once a day and then the last day, seven times and he sold the building. That's not a principle that we apply in our life of selling church buildings or anything else by doing what Joshua did with his army. And yet people start saying, and I hear him all the time talking about, and the Lord told me, and the Lord spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, and I want to say, he did not say that to you. God speaks in this last day through His Son. Not dreams, not visions, not trances, not other revelation. We have the close of the canon. God speaks through His Word. Anybody that tells you that God spoke to me or God told me, run for your life. Because that is not coming from the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God speaks through the Word of God. God spoke in diverse manners and ways in the Old Covenant to the prophets and even through the apostles. But in this last day, he speaks through his son. His son speaks through the word. So lay hold of the word. And so Paul, when he's about to conclude and leave the elders at Ephesus, what does he do? What is most important on his mind that he speaks about to these elders? And he says to them, so now, brethren, I commend you. To commend means to put forth or put forward to you. I put this forward to you, God. Not anything else. I put to you, God. I commend to you, the Lord. And he says, notice, and, coordinating conjunction. God and the word of His grace. When God speaks, Scripture speaks. When Scripture speaks, God speaks. This is what Paul commends to them, the word of His grace. Of all the other things He could have said to the elders, He speaks about the inerrant, infallible word. The inspired word. The word that gives life. The word that gives discernment. How could a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to Your word. Your word, O oh Lord, is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. The Word guides, the Word guards, the Word instructs, the Word informs, the Word rebukes, the Word assures, the Word comforts, the Word is the guiding of the believer. This is how we live our lives. We ought to desire the Word of God more than our necessary food. It is that which builds us up spiritually. It gives us the inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus Christ. This is what Paul gives. Now, how important is the word of God in your life? How important do you if, if I asked your children, those who have kids in the home, but even those that don't have kids in the home who have children? If I asked them how important is the word of God in the life of your parents, how would they respond? What would be their their comment? Would it be that they found the scriptures as an inestimable treasure? That it was a precious treasure, was the book divine? Was it more than their necessary food? Was the Word of God that which nourished, controlled, guided, and spoke to their souls? Is this how they live their life? Jesus said that we are to live according to every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, the scriptures are the power of God unto salvation. As Paul said in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. The word. Is that the testimony that your children would give of you? Would you give that testimony of your parents? That of all things, they treasured the word of God. They held to God's word. They held on every word as truth. Well, this is what Paul gives them. I commend you. I present you. I put before you God in his word. This is what we need. And notice what this Word does. The sola scriptura. The Word. The Word alone. And when I speak in this way, you realize that I'm always speaking in conjunction with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is always working in and through His Word. It's never alone. The Holy Spirit, as the Word goes out, attends with His Word. And as He attends that Word, He is either softening or He is hardening hearts. There is that work of the Spirit that goes on as well. And so, he says, which is able to build you up. Able, the Greek term dunamis. The Word of God has the power to build you up. What does it mean to be built up? Well, there's an aspect of spiritual growth, of a continuance in the Christian life. Uh, But the Greek term has more of an emphasis of maturing that what the foundation began. Christ is the foundation of the church. And the apostles and prophets built upon that foundation with the ministry of the gospel. And what the word of God does, it matures us. It finishes the product of what Christ began. And he gave that to the church. The church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. The church is to proclaim the gospel in all the world, going out into all the places, the highways and the hedges, and to compel them with the Word of God to come in. And the gates of hell will not prevail against the church as we go out with the gospel. The gospel is that which destroys all philosophy, all the things of men, all ideologies, every high and lofty psychology of man that it stands against the knowledge of God. The Word of God decimates it because the things of men, just the things of men have been founded upon that that foundation of Satan. Satan is the one with the lie that men believe and they have built all the entire philosophy on the foundation of the wicked one who is coming to nothing. Because it is not of God's Word. It is contrary to the truth of God's Word and therefore it is of the wicked one. So the scriptures then cause us to mature, to be built up, the, the finished product as it were. And this is what God's Word does. It's able to build you up. You know, are you are struggling in your sanctification? First question I'm going to ask you, how much of the Word of God are you partaking of? If you went into the doctor's office and you were anemic, you were skinny, you were, you know, you were lost a lot of weight, What's the first thing he's going to ask you? Are you eating well? What's your diet consist of? It's going to be the natural things. Do you take any kind of vitamins? Do you get some greens? Do you get some sunshine? Uh, Let me what's going on in your life? What are you doing? Well, same thing. I'm going to assess that spiritually. I'm going to ask you the question How much of the Word of God are you digesting? How much of the word of God are you cultivating in your life? How much are you meditating upon the truth of God's word as opposed to all the other stuff in this world that you're hearing? How much of the prayer life do you have? What is your fellowship like? I know some of you are here and you're gone on Sundays. No fellowship. You need fellowship. You need to be amongst the people of God. You need to be intermingling with God's people. You need to talk about the things of God. And that's true fellowship. Not talking about the simple things of life. I didn't say they're unimportant. I'm just saying that Christian fellowship is dialoguing about the things of God. Not about the weather or the football game or anything else. And I'm saying those are not unimportant, but that's not Christian fellowship. We need that. We need what the apostle wrote in Acts chapter 2. We need the apostle's doctrine. The breaking of bread, the sacraments. We need to observe the baptism of infants. We need to observe the baptism and reflect upon what that points to of the washing away of the sins in our soul by the blood and the spirit of Jesus Christ. We need the fellowship of the saints, prayers. We need this as the people of God if we are going to grow into the truth. And so the apostle says, then it's able to build you up and give you an inheritance. It's assuring me of the inheritance. It's assuring me that I'm a child of God. How does the Holy Spirit do that? It's an ineffable work of the Spirit of God. I don't know how He does it, I know that He does it, and I know what He uses to do that. It's the Word, it's the Spirit of God who testifies to my Spirit. That I'm a child of God. You know, I read the scriptures, and I've never found my name in there. And you haven't either. You're one of the elect. You see? Look at page 612. Right there. There's my name. It's not there. Well, how do I know I'm one of the elect? How do I know I'm redeemed? The Spirit testifies with my spirit that I am a child of God. How does he do that? With the voice, with the Word of God. He speaks to the soul. And he gives assurance, confirmation, that you are believing the precious promises of God. You can't have that, beloved, if you're not in the Word. People that are lacking assurance of salvation are lacking time in God's Word. And it's the Word through the Spirit that gives you that confirmation that you are a child of God. That you have an inheritance, incorruptible, that does not fade away, reserved for you in heaven. That all the spiritual blessings belong to you. That you have everlasting life, that you have adoption in Jesus Christ. That all of your sins have been cleansed because of the work of Jesus Christ. That nothing will ever separate you from the love of God. That you are my child. That I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That the Spirit of God dwells in us, confirming, assuring, convicting, admonishing, rebuking. But all that because I am a child of God, and therefore, those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines and He constantly drives me back to the narrow road that leads to life. He will not let me go on the broad road that leads to destruction. He has brought me off of that. He keeps me in the lane, as it were. That's the work of the Spirit among the people of God. This is the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Set apart holy in Christ Jesus. Sola Scriptura. What a doctrine. The reformers recovered that. I think the church today needs to recover that. That it, not by anything else but the Word of God, brings the assurance, brings salvation, enlightens the mind, gives discernment to those that are weak and those that are unlearned. The Spirit of God makes us smarter than all of our teachers because we have the law of God. It teaches us how we walk in this dark world. Beloved, are you partaking? Faithfully, diligently, consistently of God's word. And I don't come and say, you know, how much am I to read? How much? Let's use the analogy of eating. Do you eat your whole refrigerator in one day? No. So you're not going to read the whole of the Bible in one day. You eat little by little, don't you? Now, some of you kids, you you parents think you eat the whole refrigerator in one day, but you know you don't. It's over time, over a process. And then you realize, well, I'm out of this, but I've been enjoying this all week long. I have to restock that. So it is with the Word of God. Day by day, just keep ingesting God's Word. And you'll find, even as the Apostle Paul says here, you are going to be built up, strengthened in the truth. You're going to lay hold of Christ. And you're going to know nothing can ever snatch you from him. And you're going to know that when everybody speaks, whoever speaks, they speak not according to the word of Christ, there's no truth in them. Because God's word is truth. Amen. Shall we pray?